these things can be prevented. Somebody sees these red flags, these multiple flags, and you go take action immediately. You can see where it could be a much easier target because they're vulnerable. They knew something was going on. Like you said, any school, private or public, is going to be a target. And now, the Safety Zone. Welcome to another episode of the Safety Zone. We're here with Mike McCarty. And Mike, welcome to a new episode. Hello, how are you? Good. So we're going to talk, we're going to dive in a little bit today, Mike, on kind of some, again, news headlines that we're seeing. And I know that one of those headlines is actually local for you as far as where your corporate headquarters is. But just in the issue of teachers, school employees that should be going or have gone through rigorous background checks or uh, security checks and somehow either slipping through the cracks or they weren't going through the proper vetting. And so we've got several cases that we've seen within this last month of sex abuse or of predatory behavior or various different things. So you certainly are the expert in this area and, and especially with um, with your company. And so, so we just want to dive into that because I know that's got to be scary for for parents, they're sending their kids to school, whether they're where they're grade school or you know all the way through high school, and they expect their kids to be safe, right? So why don't you fill us in a little bit? And I know you have a case local to where your corporate headquarters is too. Yeah, the sad truth is, I think there are five cases, probably within sixty minutes of me mm. where we're headquartered. But I also wow. get headlines every day in my email. And if it's not every day, it is every other day. I see a headline very similarly somewhere in, you know, throughout the United States. And I think if we stop and go back to a statement we probably made here many times, those mm -hmm. that want to harm our children seek positions to have access to them. Yes. So any kind of youth serving organization should not be surprised that these predators keep beating on their doors. I think kind of from a parent's perspective, the first thing we hear is, oh my gosh, background check. Did you do a background check? And it's not only parents, state lawmakers do the same thing. Mm -hmm. They see these cases and they immediately go to the criminal background check. And I think people, when they hear the word background check, they just they think it's synonymous with a criminal background check. There's so much more to a background mm -hmm. check than just checking criminal records. And what do I mean by that? I mean reference checks. Well, not just calling the three people on their application, because let's be honest, who puts anybody bad on their application? Exactly. Right? Exactly. And you know, you don't fill them out. I've never filled one out and go, you know what? I'm going to put two really good ones and I'm going to throw somebody on here that doesn't like me. Let's yep. just balance this out. It doesn't work that way. And so there, we have a RefLink tool and it's to stretch and it's anonymous and it's text-based and it requires more than three, five or six a lot of times is mm -hmm. what we're recommending because it really starts to stretch. And then you can determine who are they. It's not just 
whoever you want to put in as a reference. We may say you got to have two former Mm -hmm. supervisors or college professors. So just dependent upon the position, you can dictate who is providing the feedback. I would also say that a lot of times in these school settings, it's the employment verifications. And we had a problem here in Indiana and we closed the gap on it, I think in 2017 or 2018, but they had these things called confidentiality agreements. And so basically you catch me, maybe there's a lot of red flags, but they're just for whatever reason, you don't think there's enough to call mm-hmm. CPS or law enforcement, yet you give them the opportunity to resign. And with a confidentiality agreement, Melinda, you give me a call and you say, hey, what about John Smith that used to work for you? Well, you're bound by a confidentiality agreement. You say, the only thing I can tell you is that John worked here from this state to this state, and that's all I'm legally allowed to tell you. Mm. So They removed those confidentiality agreements in Indiana, like I said, about four years ago because of the issues they create moving around. So when you look at those, the other issue that comes up a lot with the, the verification of employment is I may not tell you the truth of where I've been employed. One of the things that Indiana passed, and they've got a lot of model legislation here in Indiana. They've really done a great job, and we've been involved in kind of counseling and, mm-hmm. and saying, hey, here, here's a good place to go with this and stay away from these things that aren't going to help. And they passed legislation requiring these employment verifications and reference checks. The problem is, if I'm really good, and a lot of these predators are really good, I just adapt what I put on my application. I know if I leave a gap Mm -hmm. and we look at it and go, hey, there's two years where nothing shows up for you as an employee. What's going on? They'll kind of co-mingle and erase something in the middle that may be problematic and fill in some gaps. And you, you don't know any different. How do you know any different? I'll give you an example. Probably seven, eight years ago, a person shows up in northern Indiana and he shows up as a substitute teacher and he starts applying at multiple school districts. They're only running criminal background checks. But one of my buddies who was a superintendent up there, who's pretty savvy, he thinks, I want to do a little checking on my own. And so as he does some Googling, he finds a YouTube video from the television series to catch a predator. And this guy was caught. Oh my he goodness. was a he was a teacher in a large public school system in Texas, but he was never prosecuted. Mm. He was caught along with about thirty other men. At least one other predator that was caught was a local prosecutor. <gasps> so some people read between the lines. Wow. Maybe that- None of them were prosecuted. So there's no criminal history, no trail of a criminal record. He did not put that school district on his application. And so one of the things we're working on is the IRS has an allowance that you can search tax records, like the headers Mm -hmm. for employment. And so be very accurate. Unfortunately, right now, they require a wet signature, which is very cumbersome. Everything we do is electronic. How do I get you to physically sign something? So we hope the government will come into the 
new age sooner rather than later and start accepting wet signatures because then we could query mm-hmm. that database and say, hey, look, he was employed. She was employed here. They didn't put it on the application. Mm-hmm. That's a red flag. And we definitely want to talk to him because they left it off. So understanding a background check alone, if you're only doing criminal background checks, you're going to struggle with keeping predators out of any organization. So it's really, it's dotting your I's and crossing the T's and how everything works together. You know, I have a, I have a question for you. There was a case many years ago in California, which is where I'm originally from. And, and there was an issue at a private, I believe this was a private Christian school, but you know, at a private school of someone and they didn't have a rigorous vetting system to be honest with you. You know, it was a paper application and making sure they could teach and things like that. Do private schools have different laws or different requirements than public schools when it comes to this area? And is it something that private schools really need to take a look at in understanding, especially if it is easier to get into a private school? Is that an issue, Mike, or is that something... I I imagine it is. And I say that because I know in Indiana, up until about 2016, the private schools weren't necessarily included in legislation on the background check requirements and, and those kind of pieces of legislation. And I know when they enacted some new legislation here about five years ago, one of the things they did was add a definition that said, basically, any public or private school with more than one student. So, or one teacher, I can't remember how it was phrased, but it was the idea was to not put this on homeschool. But my assumption would be that's going to be a state by state variance. Mm-hmm. Some states may have the same requirements. Some do not. We do work with pro- public and private schools all over the country. And I know in some states, their requirements are different than the public schools. And the other thing that you'll notice, especially with medium to larger public schools, is they tend to be able to attract very experienced HR directors. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they move up within the school district. Right. But other times, you know, when I look around metropolitan areas, a lot of times you'll see HR directors that actually come from the private sector. Mm. And so as you're attracting those human resource professionals from the private sector, they're very in tune with online applications and just everything that should be in a toolbox that you should be using. And so I'm not sure oftentimes in smaller private schools, if somebody comes out of the classroom and now becomes the HR person, and HR means a lot of things. There is a lot of hats. And it depends on the the private, like you said, there's a lot of small private schools where I'm sure they're, they're all wearing several hats. They're administrators. And then, you know, of course, there's some very large private schools. But but just to note, in, in, in that saying, of course, we, we want private schools to be able to function and not have intrusion on their academics, on what they teach. But at the same time, if they don't have the same parameters as far as safety, then you certainly want them to be aware and taught, right, that, that these things are happening. Because like you said, any school, private or public, is going to be a target for a predator. So Mike, on these cases that we're seeing, what is the way forward? What do you advise finding where that, how that person got in or what, what was maybe failed to do? How, how do you go forward on that? What is your advice? 
Right. You know, in a couple of these, like I mentioned, the teacher comes from Texas. The one I actually did an interview for our local news channel that came out yesterday. This was a teacher that started in Maryland. He shows up Southern Indiana, close to Louisville. Hmm. And then he ends up at a school district in the Indianapolis area. So they're a couple hours apart, even here in the state of Indiana. So totally two different news markets and very separate areas of the state. He has a trail. There is a trail of victims mm. throughout the history of his teaching career. Oh, my. So I'm not sure what the failures are. I, my, my assumption is, based on everything I looked at, the current school district in the Indianapolis area probably was not given all the information they were asking for when they contacted the prior school district. And it predated changes in the law. But there was a history there. So that one, the verifications, the reference checks, collecting lots of information, do not make your application so simple that anybody mm -hmm. can fill it out. Require lots of information. If they're leaving things off, they're making gaps in it. It's really hard to manipulate things when you're very specific and you're requiring them to submit a lot of data. I think kind of the, the trend or the scary thing that we're seeing is Sometimes in these cases, there was nothing that would show up mm. in a background check, a reference check, or an employment verification. The behavior starts to present itself. Maybe it's the first time they've had a teaching position or working in a church mm -hmm. ministry or something of that capacity. So there isn't any other trail where this mm -hmm. would have happened. And so in those cases, I think, and this is where it goes to the heart of how do we stop this or stop it more quickly. Right. Is the see something, say something. And we talk a lot about this. And we have since Parkland in terms of mm -hmm. school violence, we talk a lot about seconds matter. Mm -hmm. And Parkland is a perfect example. Every second that passed, what was happening? Seconds matter in these cases, too. Yeah. And it's not necessarily seconds, but one of the school districts, he was alone at school in his office, no lights on. And they have video of other employees walking by and laughing. They knew something was going on. You tell me that you should walk by somebody's <laughs> office in a school setting and not stop and knock on the door and say, hey, dude. Yeah, exactly. This is illegal and it's not happening. And so I think part of the problem here is, as I hear these phrases, another one that I looked at that broke two or three weeks ago, one of the things that was mentioned is kind of not only pattern behavior, but a, a series of kind of dry reprimands, like things had come to the surface. He was reprimanded, come again, reprimanded. And so the behaviors were starting to be present, but nothing was shutting that down or closing that access to the kids. And that's where we have the tools on the pre-vetting, but you have to make sure your entire team, is it a school, is it a church, is it a mm -hmm. youth serving organization? Those teams have to have basic knowledge and understanding of what this is, what are the red flags, what are grooming, how am I being groomed by this person that I work with? And that is how you stop these things very quickly 
is somebody sees these red flags, these multiple flags, and you go take action immediately. I was going to ask you that about, because we've been discussing, of course, about training, especially at churches, volunteers and working with youth. But I never thought about that in the sense of, in the sense of vetting, yes, but, but actually training staff at a school. And I, I have to ask you, Mike, when, when you said that <laughs> this teachers in his office, the lights are off and people are walking by, adults, I'm assuming, walking by kind of giggling. I, I mean, I got to ask, is this, is it, was it a high school? I mean, do people look at that differently and think, oh, well, they're older kids. They're not. I, I mean, I just, that kind of blows my mind, you know, that people would do that. But is it mm-hmm. the variance of just the age of? Yeah, it was a high school. It doesn't mean this is only Mm-hmm. isolated to high schools. Right. It tends to be a bit more prevalent, I think, at the high school age. But I'm, I've mentioned this before. Indiana is a perfect example. I could be 22 years old, fresh out of college, new history teacher in a school, and there could be a student who's 19. 22 and 19 is not illegal. Right. That is That is perfectly legal. However, here in the state of Indiana, 22 and a school teacher in 19 is illegal. Right. That's a whole change in dynamic because that power position and the control and do I have yes. really the ability to say no? And, and so that, and a couple of them I've looked at here recently, he started these relationships. They were non-sexual until the student turned 18, or actually in one case, until she graduated. What is going to get him indicted, I think, is she graduated and she was still 17. And uh, so he waited till she was out of school. He thought he was safe, but yet he was still not a minor. Mm-hmm. Still a minor. Mm-hmm. And he left the school as well, but she's still a minor. So, yeah, I, I think you see the prevalence here primarily in the high school age. Because you're seeing them now, granted, being a freshman and being a senior, as we all know, is a, especially as a parent, is a huge gap in their, just in their formation, but they're forming into young adults. And it's, it's sad because that, but at the same time, you can see the vulnerability there. I've often wondered, and I, this isn't at all a, a downgrade to uh, counselors, but I know that in the high school system, especially that counselors are, you know, they play a big role in kids' lives because they it's beyond school. I mean, they can dive into and, and I understand, you know, there might be kids that are having problems or, you know, social problems, they're having maybe problems at home. But there's a bond that forms in that. And sometimes it like you said, it's it's an actual teacher, but sometimes they become like that as well at that age. They become the person that's being talked to versus the parent for a better lack of words. So so yeah, I mean just curious if if you see the trends being more in the adolescent ages, schools, as far as junior high, high school, that kind of a aspect. Yeah, that's much more common. And I tell you, these individuals that are doing this, they're very intelligent mm-hmm. and they're targeting. We talk a lot about just understanding people and recognizing behaviors and, you know, from a security aspect threat assessment and just behavioral issues, things that you can really cue in on. These predators are very, very intelligent. They are rarely, there are exceptions to every rule, and I can name Mm -hmm, some, mm -hmm. but rarely are they targeting that boy or girl that comes from 
very functional family mm-hmm. who is most likely to go back and maybe say something to a parent or they're very targeted. I mean, think of the Jeff, Jeffrey Epstein series on Netflix. If yeah. you watch that, these were young girls that A, had no money, so money, mm-hmm. uh, power, and so all of this manipulation. And yes. so a lot of this is some very targeted behavior. Yes. Yes. I had an administrator asked ask me yesterday, he goes, do you really think kids can keep this quiet? And really the answer is no, because the longer it goes on, yeah. the more likely it is to come out. And I know in the case that I did the interview in the previous school district, they talked to one graduate, but when she was in school, she said, I think four or five of my friends had sex with them. Oh. So almost her whole circle of friends that had a relationship bad. with this teacher. And they talked amongst themselves, the kids? Or, yes. Yeah. Yes. And they could be very good at manipulating that kid or child mm-hmm. into not telling anybody. First of all, if you're dealing with 14, 15, 16, 17-year-olds, if you've got kids, they think you're stupid anyway. Exactly. Right? It's not an right. age that they're like really, yeah, they're, they're right. it's that I want to be independent. They're independent. vulnerable. They, yes, exactly. Maybe don't have a lot of self-esteem yeah. or maybe they're struggling socially to make friends or whatever. Like you said, you can see where it could be a much easier target because they're vulnerable in some way or the other. But yeah, I can I can see just within my <laughs> with my team, I can see them talking to their friends because that's what they go. But it's not always a immediate, even if you have a good family situation, that that's going to happen. So what do you do? Is there a way for these young people, Mike, to be taught themselves about predatory behavior? Is that being done in some of the schools or can that be done? Or I mean, what are your thoughts about that? Especially for parents that might be listening to this, like, why aren't they teaching our kids? There certainly are some programs like that. I know some of the programs I've seen actually start at a much younger age, right? Like Mm -hmm. good touch, bad touch and things of that nature. Um, I'm not sure how widely taught the kind of grooming and red flags and manipulation. If you touch me inappropriately, that's real easy to understand. It's really much more difficult to understand that you don't love me, that you don't like me, that what this person is really doing is psychological. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Isolating me, those type of behaviors. I know there's some programs that do that. I doubt they're doing it through the schools. I would imagine these are happening more through youth serving organizations right. and ministries. And and so I think there's a lot of room for improvement there. I think most of the programs, at least through my, my own teens, um, school and education, most of the things I've seen are on bullying or on, like you said, with Parkland, they, they've enacted a lot of see something, say something, but it's more generated towards the kids, the fellow, fellow teens or fellow kids versus adults or, or staff like that. So it's, it's just an interesting, kind of an interesting thought, but maybe it's something parents can utilize resources if they're concerned to be able to talk to their adolescents. Well, there's programs that we have seen schools adopt for active shooter that can serve a dual purpose. Mm-hmm. And one that I would mention is these anonymous text yes. um, 
patients. There's all kinds of them. Some of them are are very, very complex systems in that I, I know of one that we partner with. They have the ability to ask questions, two-way communication, and they can even connect you to a counselor mm. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So the chance that a 15-year-old who knows a friend is doing something they shouldn't be doing with a teacher, the, the likelihood that they walk into the principal's office or the front office especially if they're a targeted person themselves and maybe they're not comfortable Mm -hmm. around the administrators. They're not walking in and saying anything. They don't have a vehicle to to share this. That's where these anonymous tools that we've created for Active Shooter can also serve a dual purpose of of creating a flagging system. And I know there's been some apprehension. I've heard this from lawmakers and others that oh my gosh, you create an opportunity where we can be flooded with this. Yeah, I I agree. There is no doubt every good thing. A kid's mad at their teacher. Yeah, (laughs) didn't get enough playing time in the basketball game. Yeah, there's always an abuse of something that can be. There is, there is. And that's why, you know, in every bit of training we do, we talk about pattern behavior. Right. It's not a one-time, you have to know how to take information and validate it. Yes. Just because you see a teacher walking down the hall, by themselves with another student doesn't mean they are a predator because right. they're isolated. Right. Maybe made a bad decision. Maybe sitting in class and the the student hung out after class to ask a question and it ended up there in the classroom by themselves. Yeah. Teacher should have stood up, walked to the door in a hallway where there's people and had the conversation there. Sometimes they make mistakes. That does not make them predators. And right. so, you know, that's part of what training brings in is recognizing pattern behaviors. Right. Not just a just a flippant kind of a right. you know, exactly. You mentioned before we close, you you mentioned in in one of the schools about a long trail that this this teacher had. And just out of curiosity, my assumption is usually teachers stay within the same kind of grade or near grades system when they go from school to school. Was that the case with this particular individual? Yeah, it was a theater teacher, high school. So mm-hmm. think okay. about it. it. A lot of times when you think about it, like theater teachers, band teachers, yeah. coach, these are positions where they have a lot of contact, Yes, a lot of outside of a traditional classroom contact, outside of traditional hours contact. Mm-hmm. Yep. So these are positions that create some real vulnerabilities without the right amount of oversight. So yeah, absolutely. And I've read some research years ago. This is outside of teachers or anybody, but it was research into predatory behavior. This FBI profiler had been studying sexual predators for 20 some years. And in one of his studies, I think there was like 22 sex offenders that he was studying, they had a combined total of like 800 and some victims that they had either assaulted or attempted to assault. Mm. So 800 divided by 22, do the math. These people, when they're caught, oftentimes that's where that trail is at. That's why programs and training Mm -hmm. may catch this at the boundary issue before it becomes a, a trail. Victim. 
Right. Right. You're starting to create it. You've been put on notice and you've written up or something because of a boundary issue or violating policy. They'll push these policies and they'll oftentimes violate policies. But if we're really in tune, we may be able to catch this at that level before a child now becomes a victim and lives with this the rest of their life. Exactly. And that, Mike, has been your specialty and your heart for your entire career. Do I dare say 30, 30 plus years? <laughs> I was eight when I started. <laughs> oh, my. Well, we wisdom as we age, right? But that's been the preventive the prevention, 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 and, and the hopeful news, the, if, if you will, is that these things can be prevented. I think more so now, yes, we, we see the headlines and it seems like, man, we're inundated and, and it is prevalent. There, there's no doubt about it, but there's becoming far more awareness of these incidences and companies like Mike, with what you do, you're on top of it. You have experts in the field and you're constantly devising technology, new technology, whenever you see a gap. And so I just want to kind of lead out of this particular podcast, just just to encourage people, because I know sometimes all of this can seem like, oh, you know, you have a big sigh, but to just understand awareness is powerful. Uh, prevention is possible and prevention comes by awareness. So Mike, once again, we're so thankful for your expertise and your your team who all has expertise in these areas and we keep going forward and applying new technology and really stopping these trails as we go correct this is completely preventable violence is preventable it's going to take some work but that's the good news that is the good news so mike once again thank you and we look forward to our next podcast This podcast is sponsored by Safe Hiring Solutions, a nationwide company that offers comprehensive, industry-leading, real-time security solutions for companies, schools, churches, and nonprofit organizations.